All right, welcome to ProShip Parcel Cast, episode 11. Steady as she goes, final mile delivery in the parcel shipping landscape. I'm your host today, John Wells. I'm head of partnerships here at ProShip. I work with our technology partners in the WMS OMS space, as well as resellers. And we also have our surprise guest, Justin Kramer, co-founder of ProShip, VP of sales and marketing and amateur professional ballroom dancer, should I mention. Uh, the roles are reversed today, Justin. I, this is kind of an impromptu uh, introduction for our hardcore Parcel Cast listeners. We were originally supposed to have uh, another guest on in the final mile space, which is kind of the, the overview of, of this Parcel Cast. So what happened? Well, in this case, our guest was going to be one of the newer regional carriers on the market. And unfortunately, with uh, some of the newer startups, with some of the companies that are that are trying to move into uh, the space to provide additional capacity during the time of need. Unless you'd expect not all of them are going to make it. So today uh, we are unable to, to use the guest we expected as they are no longer in the parcel industry. Well, thanks for, for sharing that with me. You know, I did ask to be on because this is my first full year um, in the parcel space. You know, before this, I'm not, I would only know the majors if I wasn't following along. Uh, has something like this happened in the recent past where one of these big parcel partners we've worked with kind of gone a separate way? Well, there's a lot to look at when you when you talk about that. And really, really, there's a lot of history when it comes to small parcel shipping or modern small parcel shipping. Right? We're not going to go all the way back to the Mediterranean where they started with, with all that. But uh, what we will talk about is the fact that, hey, when we look at, at this century, we really look at the national carriers. We look at UPS. FedEx really displacing what was a bunch of hyper-local or one-off carriers. Most companies had their own fleet of trucks. They had to deliver to department stores. They had to deliver to their own stores. And there wasn't a whole lot of direct delivery to consumers. Now, UPS, uh, when they were founded, they started to change that a little bit. There were a couple of others that did that as well. And of course, FedEx changed everything where we could start to expect things to happen tomorrow, right? It was a huge change. And in the process, we lost a lot of those hyper-local carriers, you know, the companies that would would just take things from point A to point B. In some of the big cities, you've still got the bicycle couriers, you've still got the dedicated car couriers, but they've, they've really narrowed down to just a few markets and just a few verticals in, inside those markets. But we've also seen in the last decade, as we move into this century, we see where things have started to change, where we saw companies like Shift, who originally went out of business and then was purchased, the Shift as we know it now, was purchased by Target. We look at Uber Rush. Uber Rush is only on the market for a matter of months before it was pulled back. And now Uber is yet again, very slowly and tentatively with Uber delivery, starting to bring things like that. Delive, probably the biggest upset in the last few years for those of us trying to put together a same-day delivery strategy. Delive was seemed like they were doing quite well, went out of business. Like an old record, Target bought all the assets and rolled them into shipped. So we have seen volatility in this market as new players uh, start to see if, if new paradigms, new processes, new interfaces, if these can actually live in the market. And what we're finding is some can and some can't. 
some of those examples, you know, you mentioned go back a few years. It sounds like some of them may have been just too early to the game, right? They were pace setting, but maybe a little ahead of the e-commerce rush we've seen in the last 12 months. Um, was there anything else that's happened in the last six to 12 months that's kind of ushered on? You know, any, any other recent history in the parcel world? Definitely, definitely. So one of the big changes that we've seen, especially during the pandemic, is the national carriers firing customers, right? They, they're basically, and, and if the, the bigger the discount you had, the more at risk you were. So if you're a mid-sized company with a modest discount, you probably were going to continue with your contract and you might actually be offered more capacity, okay? But if you are a very large retailer with a very aggressive discount schedule and in any way, shape or form, you made things difficult on the carrier by, oh, I don't know, exceeding your capacity constraints, you might find yourself without carrier capacity. You might find yourself, I should say, without that carrier at all. It was uh, not a single or uncommon thing to hear that major retailers had to shift carriers during the pandemic because their their contracts were terminated by their preferred carrier. So it sounds like we went from a super hyper local all the way up to two or three carriers really doing everything. And now there's kind of a, a de-evolution or spreading out of the market where there's a lot of these niche players um, that are providing, what does the modern landscape look like in the parcel space? I think you've got a good point there because everything is cyclical, right? Everything that's sold is new again. When computing started, we had mainframes and we went to PCs and now we're back to the cloud, which is basically centralized computing again, right? All we're seeing is just the, the standard cyclical action here. Some of it is going to bring new features to the market, but we are seeing a lot of startups and alternatives being made available to customers. And we're also seeing a lot of the alternatives that customers may not have taken seriously. A lot of the regional carriers, some of the more hyper-local carriers being given more respect as they really help relieve the burden of capacity constraints for many of the high volume shippers out there. Uh, that's interesting. I, you know, I tried to do a little preparation for this. And one thing I looked up is, what percentage of the, the large carriers, you know, parcel providers like UPS and FedEx, what percentage of parcel goes through their networks? And not surprisingly, it's over 50% with just the main two. And even when you start adding in USPS and DHL, you know, you're over 80% between the big four combined. So looking at it on its face, you might say, you know, 15 or 16% up to 17% in some months or through every other single regional or niche player combined in the parcel space. But from my understanding, that's actually a lot higher than it was if we had looked at this even five or so years ago. Yeah, if you look pre-pandemic, the reality is, is that between the big four, UPS, FedEx, uh, United States Post Office, and DHL, they controlled 98%. The remaining uh, percent was basically split between 1% for one uh, East Coast regional carrier, one for a West Coast regional carrier, and the remaining amount was split between everybody else. So when we're talking from, you know, the, the low 2% to now 16, 17% and uh, peaks we saw of 25%, that is a massive change. That is a, that is a material change to use a legal term. That is a material change in the amount of volume we are starting to see through non-national carriers or the regional carriers, if you will. 
I think that's a uh, friend that we don't expect to see go away. We're seeing where these regional carriers, most of which have some type of a specialty, whether it's a, a business to consumer delivery or business to uh, business delivery, we're seeing where companies are, are truly finding value. And even before the pandemic, many shippers, retailers, 3PLs, manufacturers, were starting to find value in these regional carriers to provide a level of service that was very helpful within, within a particular region. So the industry was already trending towards becoming true multi-carrier and multi-carrier now meaning more than just the three or four national carriers, but truly meaning five, six, 10 carriers where you're leveraging them from where they make the most sense. Leveraging a residential primary carrier from your smaller DCs, leveraging B2B centric regionals from major large warehouses to the ability to pack more into boxes and things of that nature. We saw that trend moving already, but it has exponentially risen during the pandemic. And we're still not seeing a decrease in the request to add cares, thereby adding capacity and more versatility in an, into a uh, shipping situation. You know, this is something we do. This is our uh, the core business here at ProShip, right? You've been in the industry for 20 years. A lot of our partners, a lot of them, this is what they do, whether that's consulting, whatnot. Based on recent history and what's going on now, you know, do we even we know and our partners what this landscape is going to look like in five to 10 years? To answer that question, we have to look at the bigger picture. We have to look at what's put us where we are now. It talked about the fact that even before the pandemic, we saw the trend in the increase in, of use of, of regional carriers to provide uh, specific services, to provide greater reliability, so on and so forth. But the problem was of capacity constraint came because before the pandemic, you had a fast growing, but still at a predictable and reasonable pace of consumers that were going online, purchasing product and expecting delivery. This was actually good for many companies because it meant they had that at least set up. However, when brick and mortar got shut down, when you couldn't actually, due to do regional lockdowns, you couldn't actually have people go in the store to pick up anything. All of a sudden now, the only method was uh, delivery. And of course, with the carriers at a time where they're expecting reduced strain on their network, they might be expecting to shut down some sort of facilities for maintenance and upgrades and things of that nature, all of a sudden they're expected to run not only at peak volume, but at volumes that far exceed what they were prepared for, for the last peak. So because of this, because of the fact that, that we, we, we saw this, the national carriers had no choice. They literally couldn't move enough volume given the, uh, the constraints that they had and given the fact that to solve these constraints is not just a software problem. It's not just a, hey, let's hire a couple dozen more drivers problem. It is, we need new sort facilities. We need new building permits. We need new capital expenditures. There's a lot of work that actually has to go into that process to actually truly add capacity that is going to move the needle, okay? And so what that meant is, is that shippers had to move to find new capacity. And the only place where capacity existed is in either new carriers 
or the regional carriers that they had not yet implemented. Of course, that stretched their capacity limits as well. We've seen a lot of carriers already close new business for the year. So if you're not already working with that carrier here in 2021, you won't be working with them until 2022, okay? So these physical limits that exist combined with now nearly 100% of retail having to go through these limited resources of capacity, you've got this problem where you have to be multi-carrier if you're going to solve the problem. The only other approach is to send everything to the United States Post Office. However, their reliability and claims process have proved to be a little bit of an issue in the last 18 months. All politics aside, the United States Post Office has, uh, has taken the capacity but has not shown well on on-time delivery or completed deliveries in some cases. So really just a bunch of unprecedented, all these, this confluence of events has created this kind of boom, the wild west in the parcel landscape where no one can really handle everything that's going on. There's so much business out there that even the majors, as they you know, add it, not a snail's pace, they're adding at a pretty rapid pace from my understanding, their capacity, as well as all these regionals combined, it's still not quite enough. Right? So that, that's a lot to take in. I guess knowing that if I were a shipper, I think you just mentioned something right there, but you know, what do I do? How do I plan for it? You mentioned multi-carrier shipping software. Maybe could we go through some things that you definitely don't want to do when we're looking at this, you know, based on the first part of this conversation? Yeah. Let's cover the do's and don'ts. And, and I think a lot of people want to know what not to do. So the first thing is, is look, if you're only dealing with two or three carriers right now, don't try to implement 10, 20, 30 carriers all at once, okay? There's a growth process there. You wanna make sure that, that you're comfortable with those, with those carriers. You wanna make sure that you're not basically gambling. Do they actually fit the profile of your customer? Do you feel they're actually gonna survive your next peak and they're gonna be able to keep with the delivery timelines that they're promising? And let's also remember, you probably wanna be working with these carriers for years to come, okay? There's not a good short-term solution on this. So make sure you're prepared to enter these contracts for a couple of years. Now, you also have to look at your software stack. Now, depending upon how you're implementing shipping, you know, maybe you're just going to the carriers.coms and you're you're executing one at a time. Well, in that case, you really need some multi-carrier shipping software. And that's what we, of course, would recommend. But if you've already got multi-carrier shipping software, you want to make sure that you've created business rules that are going to make it possible to shift capacity from one carrier to another. You want to have solutions to make it easy to switch back and forth. So if you get a call that says, hey, we've experienced a problem at such and such sort facility, we need you to, from this warehouse, if you could not ship via us a couple of days, that would be appreciated, right? I mean, these are the type of things that usually happen during peak sometimes, and we hear a lot of horse trading, so to speak, going on between warehouse managers and their carrier liaisons and so on and so forth. You, you want to have that flexibility for all your, all your carriers that you add on. Now, let's talk about some of the do's while we're at it. Now, like I said, you do want to have a multi-carrier shipping software if you're going to be adding multiple regionals. You don't want to be trying to build this straight into your WMS or your OMS or heaven forbid writing it yourself. Okay. 
that's just a that's just a strategy for confusion, especially given the state of the art of multi-carrier shipping software out there now. You want to be strategic in the carriers you onboard. Remember, this is uh, uh, these are usually going to be multi-year relationships, and you want to make sure that if we continue to recover from the pandemic as we have, that these partners will continue to be delivery partners for many years to come and provide you additional benefits other than just capacity. And of course, you're going to want to remember the, the fact that onboarding a carrier takes time not just the contracts, not just the pricing negotiations, but making sure that you actually have uh, the time to make the changes to your multi-carrier business rules. You have the time to commission the accounts. Uh, you have the time to train your personnel. You know, if you don't take time into account, you're gonna have a bad time. You're gonna be very disappointed when you hit peak. Now, that, that's fair. One thing I, I've kind of heard peppered throughout this conversation is resource constraints, uh, supply outpacing demand, right? So if I were a shipper or I was looking into this and I'm hearing this maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time, how do I take those resource constraints into consideration when I'm planning, right? So for the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. So first things first, it though it might be possible to add new capacity still this year, I would consider if you're able to do that as an exception, not as commonplace. So I keep telling my customers, anybody who asks me for advice, you're gonna go through peak with the army you have, okay? You're going to, whatever you've got set up is probably what you're gonna to have to use. Document what's working, document what's working but could be better, and document what's not working, okay? And then, this is going to arm you so that, assuming you're a fourth quarter peak person, uh, in Q1, you want to start planning. You want to look at your customer profile. You want to understand your needs. You want to understand where do they fit. Are your customers uh, aligned with general population? Does it look like a population map? Or are you more West Coast? Are you more East Coast, Southern, Midwest? Understand where the constraints on your delivery network are, where you're getting the most pressure for those. Then look at the regionals that are available. And I'm gonna tell you, look, I'm all for startups. I was a startup at one point in time, but you wanna make sure you've at least looked at the tenured regionals in that area. You wanna make sure that you, you understand how much capacity they have. What is their growth plan? And not every carrier out there, especially the regionals, are a general purpose carrier. So many specialize in either B2B or B2C. Make sure you're choosing the right one. You want to identify the, the carriers that fit based upon this data and physical constraints that you might have with your packages. And then you really want to look at the rest of your enterprise software stack, right? Because remember, just because you're, you're adding a carrier doesn't mean that you, all you need to change is your shipping software. Often you need to change the way you're passing information down from your shopping cart, through your OMS, possibly through your ERP. And often, most often, you have to change the way you're passing data from your WMS, okay? So all of these things you have to look at, do I need to change all of them as well? Because let's face it, the larger the piece of software, the longer that piece of software has been in place, probably the more time you're gonna need to make those changes 
test them before you actually want to go into a full peak with those changes. So think of the entire enterprise software stack before you do that. You had said there, you know, over the next six months or whatever until Q1 that these shippers need to be recording the data and looking at the trends. So if they haven't already, they should probably start looking at some type of BI or analytics partner if they're not already doing that in-house, right? That sounds like that's a big important part to say, hey, these are the shipping lanes we need to change or how we need to optimize. And it's just the metadata is going to help them understand that. Yeah, you definitely, if, if you can gather the data and, and maybe implementing a, a BI solution is something that can still be done. But uh, a, a lot of what I'm talking about is look at your operations. Look at where the friction is. Um, do you find yourself getting stuck at pickpack? Do you find yourself getting stuck at sorting into the trailers? Is a traditional wave process making it so that you have staff you know, really busy at the top of the hour and with completely nothing to do at the bottom of the hour? Look at everything in your stores if you're doing ship from store. Do you have physical constraints? Do you not have the ability to, once you've labeled shipments, actually provide a space for them to be held until pickup? Do you not have BOPUS or curbside pickup? And if you do, are you doing it in, in multiple pieces of software rather than a single unified piece of software, which means that the amount of training necessary for your store associates is significantly higher? Uh, the amount of risk you have for them to make a mistake is significantly higher. So you really want to look at, yes, you, you must look at data, but usually we tell our customers, look at your operations as well. Find the friction in your operation. Often data will back that up and they will tell you that, you know, store X, which just happens to have the worst physical layout for ship from store, BOPUS and, and curbside pickup, is failing is is doing less per associate per dollar per whatever whatever you want to measure it to to let you know that hey well next year we need to change the layout of that store if we expect to get more throughput there you want to add another regional carrier to a particular dc but you don't have enough dock doors that's going to be a problem right how are you going to solve that are you going to palletize this stuff and move trailers around if that'll work for you, if you can get the volume out, great. But if you don't realize that's a problem, then you're gonna be doing an 11th hour fix, which is probably not gonna be great. So you mentioned something interesting there, uh, BOPIS. That sounds like a way to take stuff out of the network, right? So that doesn't have to go through your standard carrier. Are there other creative ways or alternative ways to maybe lessen traffic on the network or distribute it differently? Yeah, and I, I like to lump all these underneath, you know, and maybe it's because I'm head of marketing and sales um, or sales and marketing, depending upon who I'm talking to that day. I like to say marketing matters, okay? If you can encourage the online shoppers to do BOPIS or curbside pickup, that's another shipment that never needs to touch a carrier network. So it doesn't count against you and you don't have to pay shipping fees. So it's like a double bonus, right? So if, if you've got a good BOPIS solution, a good uh, curbside pickup solution in place, market it, okay? Get those customers to leverage that where you can because those things won't have to be in a carrier's network again, okay? They probably were in a carrier's network to get to the store but to begin with, unless you have your own replenishment fleet. But why ship that thing twice if you can get somebody to come and pick it up 
and not affect that. But the other thing that marketing can do is marketing can adjust from the centuries old methodology of Black Friday, right? There's great deals day after Thanksgiving, great deals. Now, you know, in the last century, we've seen Cyber Monday, right? Well, let's stop that. Let's do, let's, let's pull those deals forward. Let's use the entire fourth quarter to ship. If not, maybe even some of the end of the third quarter to ship. We've seen this happen by some, some major retailers out there. Prime Day, uh, Target and, and Walmart and others are also responding with big sales at that point in time, and they're moving heavy volume. Now, you might be going, well, isn't that just making a new peak? Well, it's not, because what we're seeing is, is this is mostly those major retailers' volume is all that's peaking. You're not seeing that volume go to the midsize and to the smaller ones as well, because they're not advertising for it. So there's plenty of capacity in you know Christmas in July, if you will, okay? But we don't see everybody taking advantage of that. Likewise, we, we are seeing some of the national retailers, like they did last year, they're planning on introducing more sales in October, maybe even in, in September. Again, the idea is if you have a capacity of 100,000 shipments a day, that's 100,000 shipments a day. Those days are 365 a year. So if you can start shipping more in, in September, you're gonna get more shipments out than if you're just trying to use the 20 some odd days between Black Friday and Christmas, right? So it really is about leveraging marketing to pull forward that demand to use more of that capacity constraint that you're gonna have earlier in Q4 and possibly even late in Q3. All right, Justin, that's been a, it's been a very informative podcast. You know, hopeful for our listeners that either new like me and learning a lot new today, or they probably heard this before and it's kind of reinforcing what they already know and you know, make them realize that they need to act sooner rather than later. But if you had to leave our guests with, you know, some final comments or, or things they need to take away from this, you know, what would those be? I really have four things. Number one, the carrier landscape is shifting. Be prepared to be flexible to shift with it. Number two, Carrier capacity is still a concern for high volume shippers. One of the reasons why the carrier landscape is shifting on you. Number three, when you're looking to make these changes, take a deliberate approach to expanding your carrier network. Like I said, start in Q4, describing with writing down what's working or what's working that could be better and what's not working at all. And then finally, something you still can do this year is marketing matters. Pull forward as many of those deals as you can. Try to get as many shipments in October as you can, and possibly even in September. By putting these four together, you'll be able to do a better job this peak and prepare yourself to better diversify your system for future peaks going forward. Thank you, John. All right. Well, Justin, thank you very much for being a guest on your own parcel cast. Uh, I'm sure this has been you know, as fun for you as it has for me. I really appreciate you letting, letting me hop on this and, and be the voice of some of those listeners out there who maybe aren't as informed. Thank you all for joining us today. If you have any questions, just a reminder, you can reach ProShip at sales at ProShipInc.com or 800-353-7774. We hope you join us in August for a conversation with Nate Skyber of LPF Management to dive more deeply into peak season.